You're listening to the Informal Bible Study, a casual and applicational look at the Scriptures. I'm John Stonge, and it's great to have you with us today. In just a few moments, we're going to be looking at the second half of 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and we're going to be talking about the concept that it isn't safe to truly love people. But before we take a look at that, I want to share with you just a couple quick things. First of all, if you haven't been to our website in a while, uh, maybe you haven't had the chance to see this yet, but what we've been doing is each month as I've been releasing a new devotional in the Desire Jesus series, it's been going up on Amazon, but not we're not locking it into their platform just yet, because what we'll do is, as we've been releasing these, We're giving them away for free to anyone that wants to download them from our website. And we have the devotionals up there. I say we, it's really just me running this, but (laughs) at the same time, I guess it always seems more polite to say we, but just at the same time. So I have that up there available for free if that's something that you would like to download. But the newest devotional in in the series is Desire Jesus Uh, volume four, and it's a 30-day devotional. Happy to give it away for free, and uh, if you'd like a copy, it's right there on the front page of the website. You just click the download link, and then you'll get an email that tells you uh, where, you know, how you can download it from the website. The other thing I'll mention, and I haven't mentioned this in a while, uh, but our podcast is crowdfunded, and we have certain hosting and production costs that are associated with it. And while you're on our website, if you go over to the podcast page, if you desire to become somebody that participates in our crowdfunding and, and just become a supporter of this podcast ministry, there's a link to do so right underneath the podcast logos. And we'd be certainly very grateful for your support if you choose to become a supporter of what we're trying to do here. So thank you to those of you who already are contributing to our hosting and our production costs. And if you have the desire to get on board with that, we'd be grateful for your help. And the link to do that is right right underneath the podcast logo on the podcast page of our website, which is pastor.us. Now, as I mentioned at the start of our program today, uh, today we're talking about the fact that it isn't safe to love people. And as I was thinking about the idea of safety, one of the things that came to my mind this week is uh, a game we used to play when I was in elementary school, and I'm certain that this wasn't something that was uh, unique to our school by any means, but we used to play freeze tag during recess. And I'm assuming that you're already familiar with how this is played, but maybe somebody isn't. So basically, the idea is that uh, everybody runs around, and uh, there are certain people that can tag people and freeze them. And if you're frozen, you can't move unless somebody comes and tags you. And there's usually some specific area, maybe it's a wall or maybe it's a fence or whatever, that if you're touching it, you're considered safe and no one can tag you. And I remember our uh, our school playground when I was in elementary school uh, was just it was just like all blacktop. That's all it was. It wasn't the nice cushy materials that that uh, students have now. It was just blacktop, and uh, so we just run around on that blacktop. We didn't have any equipment out there. There wasn't anything for us to use. It was just all blacktop. And we would run around on it playing freeze tag, and there was this half wall that was made of stone that went along the back of the playground, and that was usually the area that if you were touching it, you were safe. And it was interesting to me to watch how different people played that game. 
there were some people that would run around like crazy and eventually get tagged, but that's okay because they got to run around and they would just stand and hope that somebody would unfreeze them. And then there were other kids that would spend as much time as they could really close to that wall. And they would spend most of the game with their hand on that wall so that they would be safe, so that they couldn't be tagged and then be frozen. And it probably was a little bit of a glimpse into the personalities of each of the children that played. Some would take the risk and run around, and maybe they'd get frozen, or maybe they wouldn't. And others would stay very close to the wall and try and play it safe. And I think there's an, there's an analogy there for how we approach life. Some people try to play everything very, very safe, and others take the risk to do what they think they should do. And if you're choosing to love people, if you feel compelled by the love of Christ and you choose to show that love to others, eventually you begin to realize from that experience that that's not a safe decision to make. It's the right decision to make, and it's a good decision to make, but it's not a safe decision decision to make. There are risks that come with choosing to do that. And the Apostle Paul certainly experienced some of those risks, but also some of the rewards as well. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, starting with verse 11, which we're going to read in just a moment, we see Paul explain what it was like and the emotional cost that he paid when he took the risk to love the people of Corinth and to serve them for Christ's glory. So if you would, take your Bibles, open up to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Like I said, I'm going to be reading from uh, 2 Corinthians 12, starting with verse 11, and I'm going to read right down to the end of the chapter. And this is what it states. I have been a fool. You forced me to it. For I ought to have been commended by you. For I was not at all inferior to these super apostles, even though I am nothing. The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. For in what were you less favored than the rest of the churches, except that I myself did not burden you? Forgive me this wrong. Here for the third time I am ready to come to you, and I will not be a burden, for I seek not what is yours, but you. For children are not obligated to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. If I love you more, am I to be loved less? But granting that I myself did not burden you, I was crafty, you say, and got the better of you by deceit. Did I take advantage of you through any of those whom I sent to you? I urged Titus to go and sent the brother with him. Did Titus take advantage of you? Did we not act in the same spirit? Did we not take the same steps? Have you been thinking all along that we have been defending ourselves to you? It is in the sight of God that we have been speaking in Christ, and all for your upbuilding, beloved. For I fear that perhaps when I come, I may find you not as I wish, and that you may find me not as you wish, that perhaps there may be quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit, and disorder. I fear that when I come again, my God may humble me before you, 
and I may have to mourn over many of those who sinned earlier and have not repented of the impurity, sexual immorality, and sensuality that they have practiced. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the privilege of being able to look at this portion of Scripture today. And Lord, as we look at this portion of your word, we pray that we would recognize that there is definitely a risk that we take if we choose to love somebody else in your name and for your glory. And there's a risk that we take when we stick our necks out and are willing to sacrificially serve others for your glory. But at the same time, it's worth it. And we pray, Lord, that as we look at what you communicated through the Apostle Paul, and as he displayed the love and the concern of Jesus Christ toward the Corinthian church, we pray, Lord, that we would be inspired to take that kind of action in our own lives, that we would show your love to as many people as we possibly can, and that we would honor and glorify you in the process. So, Lord, we thank you for the privilege to look at your word together today, and we commit this time to you and pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as we've mentioned over the past few weeks as we've been looking at the book of 2 Corinthians, you could see that the Apostle Paul was very emotionally invested in this church. He was doing all that he could to help them grow spiritually mature. He was giving them wise counsel. He was sending helpful representatives to them. But he noticed that this was a church that was definitely struggling, and they seemed to be highly influenced by some negative voices right there in their midst. There were false teachers. There were people that were living very sensual and and sinful lifestyles that were also, in some respects, trying to call themselves believers in Christ, but yet they weren't living out the faith. And so Paul was addressing these things. He addressed those things in 1 Corinthians. He addresses some of them again here in 2 Corinthians, and he's trying to encourage the Corinthian church to press on toward spiritual maturity. And he's also displaying to them in his life and in his words that Christ's strength is sufficient in the midst of human weaknesses. And we saw that to a high degree in the opening portion of this uh, chapter that we looked at last time. But in this portion of Scripture, we see Paul taking the risk to love people for Christ's glory. But there are a few things that he displays for us that are helpful for us to observe as we try and take that same kind of risk in our own life. And one of the things that he brings up here when you look at the opening verses that we looked at, verse 11 down to verse 13, is this idea that people require patience. When you're trying to work with people, when you're trying to minister to people or serve them or love them in any respect, you quickly discover that people require patience. Look again at what Paul said in those verses. He said, I have been a fool. You forced me to it, for I ought to have been commended by you. For I was not at all inferior to these super apostles, even though I am nothing. The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. For in what were you less favored than the rest of the churches, except that I myself did not burden you? Forgive me this wrong. He says that with some sarcasm. So leading up to this section, the Apostle Paul displayed how foolish it was to boast in earthly credentials. And when you look at some of the things that Paul said, he clearly sounded exasperated with the Corinthians as he felt compelled to do this, but he was willing to look a little silly 
if in turn it would help them to realize that the false teachers that had gained a foothold in that church were actually doing the bidding of Satan and not doing the work of Christ. Because what these men were doing is they were bragging about themselves, and they were puffing themselves up in front of the Corinthian church, and sadly, the Corinthians were buying into that bloviating. Now the truth is, Paul shouldn't have had to address any of this. He shouldn't have had to make himself look like a fool as he was trying to clarify these issues. The believers in Corinth should have defended him against false accusations that were being directed at him. And by the way, these accusations were being directed at him in an attempt to cut him down and diminish his authority as an apostle to this church. And in fact, the Lord himself had confirmed Paul's apostleship to the Corinthians through signs and wonders and mighty works that were miraculously done through Paul in the sight of the church. Now, how do you suppose you might have felt if you were in the position that Paul was in at this particular point? He had led these people to Christ, and he spent time with them to train them to grow in their faith in Christ, and he was in every way a spiritual father to them, and they seemed not to be overly bothered by those who were trying to cut him down and lead them astray from what they were taught. If I was in Paul's shoes, this would have made me quite sad. I would have felt disappointed and discouraged by this, but let's be honest about something. It isn't safe to love people, and that's okay. If you're going to work with people or seek to make an investment in their lives, it will require you to be patient with them. Leaders forget this sometimes. Pastors forget this sometimes. Parents forget this sometimes. People require patience. I remember when I was a teenager, like it was five minutes ago, uh, the experiences, the conversations, those are things that are all burned into my mind. And my extended family is rather close-knit, and I can remember plenty of conversations with my father and with my uncles during that particular season of my life. We talked about all sorts of things. And it may surprise you, or maybe it won't surprise you to learn that I was both opinionated and vocal about those opinions when I was a teenager, and I had my life and my future all planned out. And I would emphatically tell them all the things that I would do and wouldn't do, including the fact that I had zero intention of attending college because at the time I thought that was a waste of money. And they heard me out, and they said, well, you might change your mind about that. And I thought it was funny when decades later I was teaching college courses, my uncle reminded me of those conversations with a smirk. (laughs) He's like, interesting that you're now teaching college courses, but you used to give us such grief when we encouraged you to attend college. My father and my uncles love to remind me how I took extra patience to put up with during my formative years, and I've become self-aware enough during this season of my life to recognize that I still take extra patience to deal with. I'm just grateful that there are people in my life who are willing to, to exercise patience toward me. And truthfully, we all need to be shown patience every one of us. And there's no greater example of patience than what we were shown in Jesus Christ. I like what it says in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. This is what we read. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, 
not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. That's a great portion of Scripture. And the truth is, as God has displayed patience toward us, He's inviting us to remain patient with our brothers and our sisters in Christ, particularly when our patience is tested. People require patience. And that's something that the Apostle Paul was certainly experiencing and learning during the course of his apostolic ministry. Now, something else that's brought out in the portion of Scripture that we're looking at today is this. True love costs you something, right? Real love, true love, it's going to cost you something. Look again at what Paul said in verses 14 and uh, down to verse 18. He said, Here for the third time I am ready to come to you, and I will not be a burden, for I seek not what is yours, but you. For children are not obligated to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. Isn't that a great line? Again, let me reread that. That's verse 15. He says, I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. Let's pause there for just a second. Friends of ours who also have four children, so my wife and I, we have four kids, two boys and two girls. Three of the four are teenagers, by the way, so it's a really fun time in our household uh, during this particular season. Actually, I love it. But anyway, so friends of ours... um, They also have four children, and they recently asked us if they could compare the cost of our water bills uh, with their water bills because they felt like their bills seemed ridiculously high, and so they were curious what our bills happened to be, and uh, so we compared bills. And it turns out that our bill last month was actually $30 higher than theirs. <laughs> I thought that was rather funny. I, I think now they feel better about their bill, but they have the same amount of people living in their home as, as we do, and somehow our water bill, and they live in the same neighborhood as us also, and um, yeah, the their water bill was actually cheaper than ours, so maybe I need to talk to my family about the length of, of showers. Maybe we need to limit that, but have you ever come across some of the studies that have been published regarding how much it actually costs to raise children? I don't know if I fully agree with these numbers. I know that it's not cheap, but according to, and this is very recent, this just came out, I I think I just read this for the first time last week, but according to the uh, Department of Agriculture, a middle-income married couple with two children is estimated to spend $233,610 to raise a child born in 2015. And the study says that that number only covers costs from birth through age 17. So that number is not including college expenses. And they say families can expect to, be, to spend between uh, $12,350 and nearly $14,000 a year on average to raise one child. Now, I don't know if those numbers are exactly right for most people. That's what the study came up with. But I think we'll agree with this. Loving a child and providing care for them costs you something. It's going to cost you something. It's going to cost you either money or time or emotional energy, something. And likewise, showing genuine love in an active way toward anyone is going to cost you something. 
Look at some of the costs that Paul paid in order to show love and to minister to the Corinthians. When we look at just these verses that we read just a moment ago, we find out that multiple times he traveled to them. So he bore the cost of that travel. He experienced the danger that came with travel during that era, and he did it multiple times. And when he was with them, he didn't burden them financially, but he worked at a trade, making tents, selling tents, doing that sort of thing in order to be able to minister to them for free. And when he sent others to them, men like Titus, who are referenced in this portion of Scripture, he urged them to treat the Corinthians in the same way he had. They didn't come to them to get something from them. They came to share the sacrificial love of Christ with them. The mindset that Paul was displaying to this church was that of a loving father to his children. Even though the Corinthians weren't Paul's biological children, they were certainly his spiritual children. And his goal was to give to them, not take from them. Have you ever had the privilege of sharing the gospel with someone and praying with them to receive Christ? When the Lord blesses you with that experience, it's only right to be concerned with their spiritual well-being and their growth. And in a very real sense, you then take on a parenting role in their life. If you're invested in their ongoing growth, it's going to cost you something. Paul said, I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. And he also said, if I love you more, am I to be loved less? What he's getting at is you will spend and be spent for the souls of those you truly loved. Now, I have always been amazed at what parenting has taught me about the love of God, because the majority of my money, the miles on my car, and the hours of my week outside of work is spent on my kids or with my kids, and I'm okay with that expense because I love them. And I still remember the emotions I I felt when I first held them as babies, and it was strange but a wonderful thing to realize when when I looked at them for the first time and realized that I would give my life in a heartbeat for theirs. And when it comes down to it, true love costs you something. And there's no greater example of that than what we see in the price that Jesus Christ himself paid to show us the depth of his love. Let me show you two particular scriptures that make reference of that. And one is 1 Corinthians 6, verse 20, and it says this, For you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. And then 1 Peter 2.24 says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. That's the price Christ paid to show us his love. True love costs you something. And if you're going to take the risk to show somebody love, you have to understand that there's an expense associated with it. But it's worth it. And we see that the heart of God has been to spend and be spent on us. And when he calls us to love others, he's calling us to spend and to be spent on them, that they would gain a greater glimpse of the heart, and the mind, and the life of Christ through the activity, the loving activity of Christ's people. 
One other thing that the Apostle Paul brings up in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 that I want to point out to us today is this. Genuinely caring for others can be risky. Look again at what he says in verse 19 down to the end of the chapter. He says, Have you been thinking all along that we have been defending ourselves to you? It is in the sight of God that we have been speaking in Christ, and all for your upbuilding, beloved. For I fear that perhaps when I come, I may find you not as I wish, and that you may find me not as you wish, that perhaps there may be quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit, and disorder. I fear that when I come again, my God may humble me before you, and I may have to mourn over many of those who sinned earlier and have not repented of the impurity, sexual immorality, and sensuality that they have practiced. So just as true love can cost you something, investing yourself emotionally in the well-being of others can be risky because you can't control what they do, and they might end up breaking your heart. And when we look at the verses that I just read a moment ago, that's something that Paul was clearly wrestling with here. He was going to be visiting the Corinthians again at some future date, and he would have others with him, believers from Macedonia, who would be meeting this church for the first time. And what state would they be in when he came to them? Would they be living a devoted life for Christ? Or would they be immersing themselves in the things of this world all over again? Paul was genuinely concerned about this. And his aim all along had been to build them up in their walk with Christ, but working against him were others who were actively tearing them down. False apostles fostered an attitude of greed and an attitude of self-righteousness among them. And within the church there had been problems with quarreling and jealousy and anger and hostility and slander and gossip and conceit and disorder. And Paul was also concerned that some had not repented of the practice of sexual sin. Now what was he going to find when he visited them in person? This question was weighing on his mind, and he wasn't willing to stop caring about them, even though this concern was causing his heart to grieve. And when people hurt us, one of the easiest things we can do is become defensive. We build up walls in order to protect our hearts from feeling any more pain. Some people choose to live in isolation in order to avoid pain. Others become adept at lashing out. Some of us stop taking risks because we don't want to be hurt anymore. I know plenty of people who used to joyfully serve others that over time experienced so much pain they chose to stop. I know former church leaders who find it very difficult to even attend church now because of the arrows that were aimed at them when they took the risk to genuinely care about others. This is a difficult thing to wrestle with, and there's certainly nothing wrong with resting up and healing up after going through a season or two that bruised you up a bit, but in the end, showing genuine care for others is a risky thing to do because you have no idea how the people you're seeking to serve are going to treat your heart. They may nurture it, they may pour back into your life, or they may try to rip your heart out. Thankfully, our Lord is there to pick up the pieces. We're reminded of that in Psalm 34, verses 18 and 19, where it says this, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord 
delivers him out of them all. He is sympathetic with our struggles. And he provides his strength whenever we take the risk to love others and serve them in his name. People require patience. True love costs you something. Genuinely caring for others is risky. But if God's people won't take that risk, who will? It isn't safe to love people, but it is good. And Christ's calling on our lives is to love others as a reflection of the sacrificial love he has shown to us. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the privilege to be able to look at it together today. And Lord, we recognize that loving others is not a safe decision to make. That is a risky decision to make. But at the same time, it's something that you displayed to us. You showed that to us. You also showed us what it's like. And so, Lord, we pray that by your grace that we would take that risk and that we would love other people in your name, particularly those who make it very, very difficult to love them. And Lord, there are people that come to our minds right now that we really struggle with showing love toward. But by your grace, Lord, we pray that we would love them and that we would honor you in the process. Lord, we're grateful for your love for us. We're grateful for all that you displayed to us and for us at the cross as you took our sins upon yourself. And by your grace, Lord, we have the privilege to come to faith in you, to receive the free gift of your salvation, and to walk in the love that you showed us and continue to show us. So, Lord, we're grateful for all these things. We commit this day and we commit this week to your care. And we thank you for all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again for listening to this episode of the Informal Bible Study. As I mentioned at the beginning of uh, this episode, if you haven't had a chance to download Desire Jesus Volume 4, which is my latest 30-day devotional, it's available for free right now on our website. It'll be there for a little bit, and then we'll take it down, and it'll be replaced, hopefully, soon with Volume 5. But if you'd like Volume 4 while it's free, just go to pastor.us, and you can download it there. If you'd like to help us out with crowdfunding, there is a link to do so underneath the podcast logos on the podcast page of our website. So if that's the case, just go to pastor.us, and we would certainly welcome your help in covering our hosting and our production costs. And uh, we're just grateful to have you as a listener. We're thankful for the feedback that we receive from some of you. And uh, if you've never sent us an email, we'd hope that at some point we get to hear from you and maybe interact a little bit. So send us an email sometime and let us know that you're out there. Let us know where you're listening from. We'd be uh, thrilled to hear from you and just to be able to say hi. But that's it for us today. Thanks again for listening. We hope you have a wonderful day and a wonderful week, and we look forward to getting back together with you again next Monday. Thanks again. The Historical Jesus Podcast is the sweeping saga of the life and times of Galilean Jesus of Nazareth, as well as the faith, religion, 
and church founded to honor and disseminate his acts and teachings. Join me, Mark Vinette, on this fascinating journey through time, exploring the many great works of Christian theology, literature, architecture, music, and art inspired by the words and deeds of Jesus Christ.